All right, today I have got an interview for you from someone I've wanted to have on the expert edge for quite some time. He is an incredible entrepreneur, uh, wicked smart when it comes to building wealth and building a personal brand through that. Him and his wife are just absolute rock stars. Uh, So today on the podcast, we have got Chris Harder. Uh, He is married and partnered with Lori Harder. And today on the podcast, we explore their journey. We explore Chris's journey uh, in really building their personal brands and the value of having a personal brand. In fact, they have made so many shifts and pivots in their career. And it's really been their personal brand that has not only sustained them, but truly enabled them to thrive. And on this, on this session, we talk about really practical money tips on how to grow wealth, really practical personal branding strategies. And so I just know you're going to love Chris. Make sure you go and connect with him on Instagram. And at the end, he shares his uh, texting number, which I love you to go and check that out because he's the real deal. And that's what I want to bring to you on the Expert Ed. So I trust you are going to enjoy this. Let's talk about the secret behind building a profitable, powerful personal brand with Chris Harder. You are listening to the Expert Edge podcast. This is the place where experts come to command the stage, position themselves as authorities and scale their business up. Get ready to access your next level of potential with your host, Colin Boy. Chris Harder, welcome to the Expert Edge, brother. Colin, thanks for having me on. It's an honor. Hey, mate, I'm so excited about this. Uh, I have quite a few guests on here, and I'm and I'm telling you, this one I have been really excited. I've been wanting to get you on the podcast for a long time, and I'm excited to introduce you to my listeners because. I think that they're going to resonate with you and uh, obviously the story of you and your wife and what you guys have built together. Um, I really love to showcase people on the expert edge who are not only successful financially and in the marketplace, but have actually built a successful life. Um, You guys have got a beautiful marriage. Uh, I know you've got your two dogs, but you guys travel all the time and you're just genuinely good people who care about people. Um, and I know that, to be honest, this morning, I was listening to your podcast. Um, I was listening to your podcast about coming back from failure, um, the comeback rate. Um, and so your content is just phenomenal. And so for those people who are new to you, could you share, Chris, um, how, like how you would describe why you got into doing what you're doing, like your entrepreneurial journey? Where, where did this Where did this begin? Um, and yeah, if you could describe that for the audience, that'd be great. Yeah, it's a long story that I'll keep as short as possible. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know you've done a lot. <laughs> right? So uh, let's kind of go back to um, 2008, 2009. So the Great Recession happens. And like a lot of people, uh, a lot of people were kind of faced with starting over financially. And, and we were in that situation as well. But the way that we got into that situation was... For years leading up to that, so you know, early 2000s, all the way up till the recession hit, I was working with the world's largest bank at the time. And I was flying up through the ranks, promotion after promotion after promotion. And I thought it was going to last forever. 
I wouldn't listen to other people. I would say, hey, you know, not going to last forever. Things change. And I was young and I was arrogant and I was making decisions from a place of a lot of ego. And so I was living beyond, beyond my means. And when the recession hit, obviously it affected banks and real estate the most in 2008, 2009. Well, the music stopped. And when the music stopped, I was left holding the bag. And I had to come home from work and tell my wife, babe, I lost my job today. And not only that, we've been living beyond our means. And we're going to have to sell this great big house that we just finished building, get rid of the cars, get rid of the rental properties, and go move into a little 900 square foot studio apartment. And we're in Minneapolis at the time, so in uptown Minneapolis. And we're going to have to start over from below zero. And that's a real tough thing to come home and, and tell your spouse. Dude, that's right? And I remember she sat there real quietly. Now, she could have blown up. She could have freaked out. She would have had the right to, to really react in any number of ways. But she sat there quietly. And after a pause for a while, she looked at me very just matter-of-factly, said, I will never let this happen again. And that became the beginning of our entrepreneurial journey. Now, the funny thing is, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, even though I just kind of got stuck in corporate America in the banking world. Um, I didn't want to be there, but you know how it is. You end up going down the freeway of success and you're kind of stuck on the freeway and it doesn't make sense to get off, so you don't. But I really actually wanted to be an entrepreneur even way back when, before I was in banking. I would have this little startup idea here and this little startup idea there, you know, things that failed, of course, but it was always kind of in my genes. So to take that moment in time where we were forced to start over, and I want to add a little bit more detail to it, if you don't mind. When I say we were stripped of everything, what I mean is I was stripped of what I thought made me important at the moment. Mm. I was stripped of my identity. You know, what was my title at the bank? Uh, I was stripped of the idea of how many people are on my team. I was stripped uh, of the identity of, you know, what do you drive and where do you live? And all these really shallow things that as a late 20-something seem really, really important at the time. And I'm not going to try and convince anybody that it felt good, but I will tell you when years pass and you get to look back on it, you realize it was one of the best moments of your life. Because when you're stripped of everything, you're a blank chalkboard. And when you're a blank chalkboard, you get to choose again. Okay, what do I want to write as my story this time? And I know you love talking about writing stories. You have this blank script and you can put anything on it when you get to start from, from scratch again. And so Lori and I sat down, we decided, how do we want to show up in this world? And what kind of value do we want to offer this world? And what kind of lifestyle do we want now that we get to build anything from zero? And that was when Lori became Lori, as everybody knows her today. First, she went into fitness, got all the covers of all the magazines, then went into self-development, you know, did the events and the books and all that stuff, and now has her, her, her um, Liquid IV line, right? And uh, that was when I took my first entrepreneurial journey as a partner in a mortgage bank. Now, what was interesting, Colin, was I took that partnership out of not having any other options. And who takes a partnership in a mortgage bank in a banking and real estate recession? Well, somebody who feels like they're not worthy of anything else. So I took that partnership and it was just four guys in a shop. And the guy who had started it, Colin, his name was Todd. And he said, hey, Chris, we used to work together. I said, Chris, when we worked together at the bank, I realized the things you're good at, I'm not. And the things that I'm good at, you're not. And I think if you came over here and helped me grow this thing, 
we could really turn this into something special. Now, Todd was right and he was he was wrong. He was right in that those complementary skill sets and gaps fit together really well. And while everybody else was closing their banks, while everybody else was closing their shops, we took that from a tiny little mortgage brokerage and turned it into a great big mortgage bank where we were lending $330 million a year of our own money uh, in 36 months. We had 155 loan officers in seven states. We had reinvented the pay plan for the mortgage business. I mean, we were crushing it. But now here's what happened. When you take things for the wrong reasons, they never turn out the way that it's supposed to. And when Todd said, hey, we've got opposite skill sets, he really also meant we have opposite personalities. And that meant when the business became big and was moving quickly, we had very different leadership styles. And our partnership really became very toxic. So I ended up selling out my shares to Todd and the rest of the team and coming home and telling Lori, all right, babe, roll up your sleeves because it's just you and I from here on out. Now, it's funny because we went on to grow these personal brands that everybody sees today from that moment on, but it didn't stick with this idea of it's just you and I from here on out. And we'll get into those stories later. We realized you definitely need other people along the journey if you're going to play big. But that was the start of it. When you were launching your personal brand, because obviously you've built um, kind of like you could call them like, you know, like traditional, you know, like a mortgage business and, mm-hmm. and things like that. I know that you and Laurie have courses, masterminds, all that sort of stuff. When you got into the personal brand space, what are some, I'm curious about how much you value personal brand and your philosophy behind building your personal brand. Like, how do you think about that? What energy do you put into it? What money do you put into it? And if you were to start it again, would that be a focus you'd be doing like right from the forefront? Yeah, Colin, absolutely. Whether somebody wants to start their own business or whether somebody works for another larger business, everybody is a personal brand. And that's not a new statement. You've heard that before, but I can't stress this enough. The way that you show up, the value that you add, uh, everybody looks to see who is this person externally in their external lives, not just who are they in their business. It In this day and age with social media, and with how small the world is, whether you choose to be or not, you are a walking, talking personal brand. And your reputation and your reach will always precede your actual introduction, right? So I knew about you before I ever met you. You knew about me before you ever met me. And this is the way the world works now. Now, here's a great example how important personal brand is. Uh, we're just finishing up raising money for our peer-to-peer lending app, Frello, that we're building. Come on. And we were only taking strategic investors, meaning they had to have a personal brand. We wouldn't just take their check. They had to have a personal brand that either had our potential borrowers or our potential lenders in their brand, or they had to have expertise that would help us on this accelerate this journey a little bit more, right? Maybe they're incredible uh, marketers in the fintech world or something like that. So use that example that even if you wanted to invest in a company, even if you're like, I've got the money, here's a check. I want to be a part of this opportunity. We weren't accepting you unless you had a strong personal brand and could help our journey in making this thing successful. So I'm telling you, personal brand is everything right now. And if someone's listening, they're like, yeah, but I keep to myself and I'm not really on social media. You are still a personal brand and you need to concentrate on your reputation 
and what is going to precede your introduction. What is that? I'm curious what that looks like for you because I know I follow you on Instagram. You and Laurie have a really strong following there. Uh, I know that you know it seems like you're quite engaged on Instagram. Um, you know, you've even you know we, before we even met, you replied to me. I could tell it was you replied to me personally, like all that sort of stuff. Um, but what what's it, what does it look like for you to build that brand? Um, practically like are yeah. you shooting videos every week are you creating content are you like what does that look like so my brother has a great saying and he got it somewhere else but i, I gotta give him credit he always says do the unscalable until you can no longer do it meaning <laughs> that engagement in your dms the engagement yeah. in your comments shooting the video with intention like doing all the things until you literally cannot do them anymore because it's scaled so big do the unscalable until you can no longer do it. Because a lot of people, they will say, okay, I'm going to grow this Instagram, I'm going to grow a personal brand, I'm going to grow a podcast, whatever it is. And they start to take shortcuts and they start to want to offload all the work, right? How can I have bots respond? How can I have somebody else respond? How can I train an assistant to talk like me? And you lose a lot of that connection, a lot of that low-hanging fruit in developing relationships with people that would enhance your life or enhance your business. So I committed a long time ago to staying as involved in the personal brand that I possibly can. Now you have to get, as it grows, you have to get become efficient. Yeah. And you were asking yeah. for some practical tips. We make sure that we never miss an opportunity to capture film, whether we're speaking at someone else's event or at one of our events. And then they're able to chop that up and repurpose that into sometimes podcast episodes, but definitely a lot of the social media that you see. Many times we'll sit down and we'll batch record what we call 20 questions. So we've got a, a film crew that will come up with 20 questions that they ask us, almost like they're interviewing like me, like, like you are right now. Only you don't see them. And they'll ask the question, and they'll get us talking, and they'll get us creating content. And then they chop and splice all of that up That's into cool. a lot of the social media that you see and sometimes some podcast episodes. So it's becoming efficient, but keeping yourself involved so that it's still genuinely you and, and genuinely what you want to say. Mm. Your um, your background has been in money. I know that you're launching this new app, which is incredibly exciting. I know it's going to really shake up the the whole fintech industry, um, Frello, which we'll talk about soon. But in terms of money, uh, I, I feel like most people don't know how to manage, master, or grow their money. And I know you've got a money course as well. Talk to me about, like, I feel like for me, I grew up with a lot of fear of money. Mm -hmm. You know, money had had a feeling of it, there was never enough, even though there was, it was kind of weird, but it was like this, like, we're going to run out. It's going to go to zero. We're going to end oh. up out on, the, you know, on the streets, all this sort of stuff. Um. I had to get over a lot of fear of money. Uh, how, do, how do you think about just growing money, thinking about money? Um, like what's your philosophy of how you look at money in terms of like your, your relationship with it? Well, Colin, when I lost everything, I was clearly not treating money with any kind of respect, right? I was living beyond our means. I had no plan behind it. I did the traditional things that everyone told you to do, right? I put money in my 401k and I maxed that out and I bought the house thinking that'd be the best investment I ever made. I did all these, these old school advice things, but what happened? The economy crashed and 
our 401ks got cut in half and home values got cut in half. And, you know, we were left in a really unfortunate situation where we had to start over. But during that time, when I had to start over, I was looking around and of course the whole world was hurting in that recession, but I found individuals and a lot of individuals that weren't hurting. I found people that were actually growing their wealth in, you know, during that really tough time when everybody else was struggling. And I thought, what the heck are these guys doing? Like, why is he doubling his net worth right now? Why is this person making all that money right now? Why is this person buying up all the homes or blocks at a time, right? And so it struck me in that moment. You have to choose to learn how to treat money, how to view money, how to behave with money from the people who have already been there, done that, not from the well-meaning, loving, caring people that maybe raised us, but didn't know anything about wealth creation, right? Our parents taught us what we know about money, but most people's parents aren't multimillionaires or billionaires or business moguls, right? If you have one, you're very fortunate. Our teachers taught us about money, but most teachers are not financial geniuses or, or really crushing it in the world of finance. Your neighbors, your coaches, other people in life that you have as you're growing up, they're the ones that have create all these blueprints, if you will, on your financial DNA. And then that's how you go operate in this financial world. And it's no wonder that we end up failing because we learn from people who are not financial experts. So when this happened to us in 0809, I said, I'm going to go learn from the people who have already built a life that is the same kind of life I want to live. And I started learning very simple rules, such as uh, pay yourself first. Like when you bring money in, you got to make sure that the first thing you're carving out is investing in your future. And we choose low fee index funds. We just set it and forget it. So it's out of sight. And, and I don't want to spend that money, right? So pay yourself first. It's a very simple thing you can do and then live what's on what's left over. And I know people hear that and they're like, dude, I've got nothing to, to live on right now. How am I supposed to do that? But see, that's already going against the winning psychology. The winning psychology is even if you paid yourself a few percent for it, you carved out your paycheck and there was no recovering that thing. You would find a way to live on what's left over. We all do. do. Can I say this principle changed my life? Yep. Like it, when we, several years ago, we didn't have much money to carve out as yep. profit, but we started doing it at a small level and it has snowballed significantly over the last couple of years. And, and, but that idea of like cutting, like cutting that little bit of fat out, putting it away into an index fund or something like that. And you can't, you can get access to it, but it's like in your mind, I'm like, there is no way I'm like diving into that thing. Uh, changed my life. And it started small snowballed. So sorry, keep going. Like, no, love that I principle. love it. See, you're spot on. And, and then add on to that. I wish somebody would have sat me down when I was like 20 years old and shaken me by the shoulders, punched me in the face a few times and said, understand the power of compounding interest over time. Because I wasted all these years where, you know, if you understand the rule of 72s, it simply means divide your annual return on your investment into 72 Right? So if you're getting 10% a year, you divide that into 72, which is 7.2. And that is the number of years it'll take for your investment to double. So if you're making 10% on your money, then every 7.2 years, it's going to double. 100 grand becomes 200, becomes 400, becomes 8, becomes 1.6, 3.2, right? Like, it's amazing mm. what happens. But again, I started late. Now, it's never too late to start. But if you hear this and you're in your 20s, my God, sit down and truly understand the power of compounding interest because 
it'll work in your favor, right? So that was one of the first rules that I said, okay, this is what these guys are doing. One of the second rules I saw was they were willing to live on a lot less than what you saw your neighbors living on. Now, it's one thing to say that. It's another thing to do it in execution. When I came home and, and lost my job and told Lori, hey, babe, we got to start over. We technically could have continued to play that shell game for a little bit longer. Mm. We could have waited it out. We could have hoped for a miracle. We could have stretched things and went into even more debt than we already were. Like we could have played the game, but I knew I had to just tear up the Band-Aid and right that ship. And so I went as far as to putting all the furniture that we had just got for this brand new home that we had just built on Craigslist. And I watched as car yeah. after car pulled up in front of the house, in front of the neighbors. And people walked in and they bargained for the couch and they bargained for the TV and they bargained for the desk and they bargained for the beds. And they would walk out with our stuff that we had just furnished this home with in this beautiful neighborhood in front of the neighbors and leave me with a little bit of cash on hand. But it was the willingness to part with the cars instead of dragging it out. It was the willingness to part with the furniture. It was the willingness to part with the house that allowed us to get a running start so that we weren't slaves to surviving, but instead we could trade that energy and time to wealth building. Because you are either spending your time and your energy on surviving, right? Oh, got to make sure that the paycheck keeps coming in because I know next month the mortgage is due or the rent is due. You're either a slave to surviving or you can apply all of that same time and energy to wealth building. And so we were willing to be humble and be humiliated so that we could have just enough money to prepay an entire year worth of rent in this tiny little 900 square foot mother-in-law suite. It was a mother-in-law suite, by the way, <laughs> downstairs in this big condo building full of rich people. They had literally got it for their mother-in-law for when she visited and we rented it. But we prepaid it for one year so that we had 12 months of runway to be able to turn our energy to wealth building, not to barely getting by, right? So that was another thing that I learned that you have to be willing to do is tear off that Band-Aid and, and really be humble. Another thing uh, that I, and I don't mean to go off on a tangent, but this is really important stuff. No, this is great. This is what I wanted. Another rule that I learned is that, remember, I was the only breadwinner. And that's kind of what caused our collapse in that time. So oh, when Lori said never again, we created a rule by studying other people who did not collapse during this time that said, you must have enough income sources and you must balance your budget so that if any one of your income sources went away today, you would not have to change your lifestyle tomorrow. So that's the standard that we hold ourselves to still today. If we lost any one of our income source, even the biggest income source, if it went away today, we would not have to change our lifestyle tomorrow. So when you start to make that your goal, and I understand if you're listening to this right now, you're like, I'm not even close to that. Screw this guy. No, you make it your goal and then you work towards it diligently. You have a new North Star. Your North Star becomes, okay, I'm going to make sure that one year from now or 18 months from now, I have enough income sources mm -hmm. and I've tightened up my budget a little bit so that if any one of them went away, I'm not panicking and changing my lifestyle tomorrow. Can I ask with that, what does that look like practically as an example? So would you count a, so let's say my business, right? I do coaching or I've got products. 
are they multiple income streams or that's only one income stream? Like, would you count that as one or would you count that as, okay, we've got three different products. If one product doesn't do well, we've also got these other two products that are running really well. Or is that the same income stream? It's both. And here's how I answer that. If it requires you to wake up and perform every day and you got hit by a bus and you were disabled for a year, then any of those income streams that you could no longer create, those count as one. But if you had set up a course funnel and the course was already built and you got hit by the bus and you couldn't work for a year, but that money was still coming in, then in that case, that would count as a separate income stream that you could still rely on, right? So if you're doing only live things, you're doing masterminds and you're on the speaking circuit and that's where your money comes from, you have to consider, even though they're different products, you have to consider that one income stream because it is you sense. performing. Yeah. But if you've built a residual income or a number of residual incomes, because it's usually not going to be one income stream that replaces the one you lost. It's usually going to be a couple. For example, mm-hmm. if I lost my ability to run masterminds and to run the dinner series and do these in-person things that I love doing that help to support our lifestyle, then what would kick in is the residuals from past residual businesses that we've built. What would kick in is the inc- investment income that we get every single month. What would kick in is Lori's ability to create the income that she already creates, right? So we've got these other things that would make up for my inability to be able to work for a year or two. Hmm. That's the way that you want to set up your budget and your income sources so all your eggs are not in one basket. And people hear this and they'll think, well, yeah, but my husband, he's a doctor or a lawyer or my wife. She's this accountant and she's got the good job and, and I stay home with the kids. So this doesn't apply to me. She's got a great job. Guys, I worked for the world's biggest bank and I was the fastest rising employee out of 330,000 employees at the time. Right? I was the golden boy there. Wow. One or two promotions every year. And if it can happen to me, it can happen to that person with the, the quote, secure job. Mm. One thing that I notice in people who do well and notice this in my students, you, you articulated it before. It's like, and I feel like there's multiple levels to this. It's first of all, it's that willingness to just do whatever it takes Mm -hmm. and to humble yourself. Um, you know, like even I've heard people say, you know, it's almost like they, they're too good to do one-on-one coaching, but it's like, yeah, but dude, you can't pay your rent. It's like, just do whatever you need to do. Right. And, and then, but I feel like, there's a level of that which is like that's like pain driven. I'm curious about once you get past that survival like I just do whatever it takes like we have to be humble. I love that story that you shared. You've got that in you. Both of you and Laurie have it. Um what what does it look like to get momentum then? Like what are the things that you think about that in building a personal brand, building a coaching business, building course creation business? What are the elements that got you into real momentum beyond that point? Audience building, audience building, audience building. I will tell you, a large and engaged audience will always serve you no matter what direction that you plan on taking or even don't plan on taking. And my wife is a fantastic example. So she's built a large engaged audience. Her podcast has almost like 70 million downloads, like seven zero, right? Like massive um, email list, the whole nine yards, right? So she did fitness for a long time. And one day she woke up and she said, I don't want to do fitness anymore. 
I want to do self-development. Now, it wasn't quite that abrupt, but nonetheless, when she switched her message to self-development and her products to self-development, that large engaged audience, there was enough people in there to come along so that the income streams stayed turned on. And then one day she was over self-development. Hey, I don't want to write any more books. I don't want to run the Bliss Project anymore. I don't want to do these courses anymore. I want to build a beverage company. Well, guess what? The investors for that beverage company and the fans, when she just launched, did her pre-launch for that beverage company, they all came from that same audience. So why do I share this? The first thing you got to focus on is how quickly can you serve, 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 and create a large engaged audience. That's number one. Step number two, most people think when they're just starting out that they have to start out with the least expensive product because they haven't, quote, earned their way into selling a bigger, higher ticket thing. And so what do they do? They have a smaller audience when they're starting and they say, well, I'm going to sell a course or I'm going to write this ebook. Do you know how many $17 freaking ebooks you need to sell to pay your mortgage and put food on the table? Thousands of them every month. How are you going to do that when your audience is 4,000 people? Or do you know how many courses you sell courses? You know how hard it is to actually sell a course? So great, you, you built your, your $499 course and you think you're going to sell a thousand of them. No, you're going to sell 10 of them, right? Because your conversions are going to be less than 1% of your engaged audience right now. So they think they're doing the right thing by going after the small lower price ticket first and they're going to quote earn their way and work their way up. But the opposite is actually true. The first thing that you should be launching is your one-on-one -on -one coaching that is higher ticket. And yes, you're trading your time for money, but it's also the most profitable thing you're do, you'll do in the beginning so that you can reinvest that money into building the audience so you can then have a big enough audience to sell the courses to, right? So do it in reverse. The other thing is high, high ticket things such as masterminds or uh, group coaching, or right now what's really popular is smaller live in-person groups that are higher ticket, right? You put 15 people in a room at five grand. Those types of things start there instead of with the less expensive thing, because that gives you the revenue to reinvest, to grow the audience and, and go build the, the lower price things that eventually your audience will want. No, I love that. Um, in terms of your mindset in regards to growing something while you're learning it um, and failing. I know you're launching uh, Frello, yeah. which is a peer-to-peer -peer lending app. Yeah. Really excited about that. I think it's going to have a big shift, but you even shared on the podcast today when I was listening to your Chris Harder show, you were talking about, you know, there was, you know, you hit like a roadblock and you're like, mm -hmm. my gosh, how do I find an answer to this thing? Maybe this thing's over. Like, you know, all that sort of stuff that comes up in our mind which I know that the listeners face all the time. I know I face it all the time. What are some ways that you move past failure or even like real failures of yeah. where you've actually hit a failure, things haven't worked out, you've lost money, maybe you've done a launch and it lost money or whatever it was. Like what are strategies that you use to like get back on track, get your confidence back, especially? Colin, it's one strategy. It's one strategy and it's called your network. You need to make sure that you have the people to kick you back in the game. You got to make sure you have the people that are not going to say, oh, that's okay. It happens to us all. You don't want someone to make you feel good in the moment. I mean, you might want that. You want someone to say, listen, 
you failed. Big deal. Here's your other talents. I want you to go back in there, get back in the game, and take you know try it this way this time. Uh, your network will have the advice as to how it do it, how to do it differently your second time around. Your network might be your investors. Your network might be your customers. Your network might uh, be the person who uh, doesn't accept your excuses. The one and only answer to that, Colin, is your network better be built so that you don't have the ability to sit there and wallow in your failure. You are obligated. You've got the accountability and you've got the resources and you've got the advice to be thrown back into the game with advice on how to do it differently this next time. And could that be like a paid program you're in, like a mastermind or something? Has that it's been usually that a mix of it all. Yeah. It's usually a yeah. mix of it's usually made up of some people that care enough about you to tell you the truth in that moment. And then some people that are paid mentors where they're obligated to give you the strategy and the truth in that moment and, and kind of cheer you on. And then some people that you just look up to that you have access to that you can tap into in that moment when you need advice from someone who's already been down the path that you're trying to go to. So it's made up of your core network. Mm. And that, like if you pictured a bullseye, right? It's made up of your bullseye. That's your core network. And then that second ring, that might be your paid coaches, or your paid group that you're in. And then that third ring, that might be people you look up to that you don't correspond with much, but you know if you sent them a DM, they're going to send you an answer back. So it's really made up of all the tiers. I love that. Uh, in terms of you building your business now, I know that your business is evolving. You're doing fintech, all sorts of stuff. You've, you're launching um, Glossy, which is Lori's new thing, which is exciting. Um, how do you make decisions on, and also I'd love you to explain, what does your business look like so people understand like your revenue sources and how do you make decisions if someone was thinking about based on like their personality, based on their values, how do you make decisions to to run a certain type of program? Yeah. You know, what do you how do you process that for you in building your business for your life? Well, it's interesting. So Lori and I never chose to have startups at the same time. Uh, right. She has a product company. I've got that, is pretty, that we're building. That's actually and, true. And I don't I actually suggest realize it, that. I don't, but sometimes life chooses for you. Sometimes life yes. chooses for you. That is we're true. in a season. We are in a season where I feel like I work two full-time jobs. And she is in a season where she feels like she works two full-time jobs. Mm. But guess what? I'm signed up for this season. And I'm excited about what this season is going to bring me down the road. So if you ask me to break it down, our personal brands are what create that rule I shared earlier. It creates the income sources so that if any one of them went away, we could still keep the lifestyle that we have today, yeah. right? So the personal brands pay for the lifestyle. Then the two startups, that's our second full-time job, if you will. Mm. And that's where we're going after creating our future wealth. You know, mm. my partner, Matt and I are building a billion dollar peer-to-peer -peer lending app for sure. Like nobody can predict the future. But if I could predict the future, that's where we're going. Lori is building this juggernaut of a female products line, right? Um, and those things pay us nothing right now. Lori's made zero money for the past two and a half years on her startup. I'm going to make zero money from Frello until we have a Series A or until we sell this company, right? We're not taking salaries. We're not taking paychecks. We're not taking bonuses. We're putting our blood, sweat, and tears into that, even though we're treating it like a full-time job. 
for zero compensation because we know the compensation from those comes in huge payoffs in the future. So personal brands pay for today and for our baseline investing. And then these larger companies that we're building, that'll pay for tomorrow. And our goal is that it secures every generation for generations to follow our family. Hmm. I was thinking about you two the other, the other day, and I'd love to call it. I think you were both going to have billion dollar exits. I'll take, to, I'll take all that energy that you want to send this way, man. Honestly, bro. I was like, oh my gosh, they're both going to have a billion dollar exit. Both of them with these two new things. That's I'm calling that, bro. I, okay. I'll, we're going to mark the tape. We're playing this back <laughs> in a few years. You know, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, it's interesting. It's not about the billion dollar exit. It's about building something huge that yeah. will change the world. Mm -hmm. And knowing it's going to bring some kind of great wealth as a payoff down the road. And, yeah. you know, people forget about things like dilution. You know what I hate? When people get on the stage and they're like, I built a hundred million dollar business. <laughs> I built a billion dollar business. You know what they don't tell you? That their shareholders had 40% and their yeah. business partner had 30%. And so they were only left with 30%. Of their hundred million dollar exit. Now, I'm not saying thirty million is a bad number, but what I'm saying is, there's too much chest beating on stages, and there's too much Sorry, chest beating and storytelling these days. So people have to understand that when you build a giant company, most of the ways, times that you get there is through dilution event after dilution event after dilution event, and then you finally get to that promised land across the finish line, and you yeah. own some portion of that big sexy number that everybody talks about. Mm. So regardless of the exit size, we know there'll be a nice payoff, but we're not doing it for that title. No. We're doing it because it's going to secure generations to come for our family while simultaneously making the world a better place on a big scale. Yeah, and I can feel that with you guys. I mean, you guys just live that. I know it's, you're not in it for the money, but but it it's more I could just sense the weight of that this brands, these brands that you guys are building, it was more, I just sensed that in my heart. I was like, wow, I don't know two people who have built, I, I, I'll say this, it's very rare to find a married couple that both have personal brands and work well together and build something together. You know, um, it's very rare. Sarah and I actually have that. And we've struggled to find other people who have that. Yeah, Colin, it's a special thing to have, but we've had to really work on creating rules to get there, right? Like Lori and I take non-negotiable dog walks in the morning with our dogs so that we can first come together in the morning. Matter of fact, we have something that we call protected time. Remember, we're working the equivalent of two full-time jobs right now, but we still protect our time in the morning up till a certain time of day where nobody can get a hold of us. We're not texting anyone back. We're not taking any calls. That's our protected time to spend time together, get our workouts in, keep our health up, make sure that we're you know, saying our, our prayers uh, or our mantras and everything else together. And then we go off and do battle after our protected time. And then at the end of the day, we have our mandatory dog walk. Like you live in Newport right now. I live in Newport right now. What's going on outside right now? It's raining. Guess it what raining. I'm doing? Guess that. what I'm doing after I hang up from this? I'm putting on the raincoat and Lori's putting on the raincoat and we're gonna take our two giant sheep -a doodles and turn them into soggy sponges. Because yeah. we're going to take that non-negotiable dog walk so we can talk about what are your three wins today, babe? Here's what my three wins are. And here's what I'm grateful for today. And we come together again after going and doing battle separately all day. 
And those are just a couple of small things that are easy for anybody to do. Um, out of all the rules and, and if, uh, traditions, if you will, or habits, if you will, that we've created so that we can be a couple that is both working hard and thriving internally and, and still madly in love. Yeah, I love that. Uh, it's been a pleasure bringing you to my audience, Chris. Uh, I know people would have got so much from this podcast. Um, you know, one of my big goals is, is just to expose people to, to people like you who think bigger, who act bigger, who, who just like vibrate on a level that attracts people to that next level. And so uh, there's going to be a ton of people who want to find out more about what you do, connect with you. I know that you're very active on Instagram. They can go and follow you at Chris Harder. Uh, but where else would you love them to go to, to connect with? I know you've got the Chris Harder show on podcast. You're a podcast listener. And um, did you want to share a little bit about Frello and what that looks like and so forth and where they can go to find out more about that as well? Yeah, I'll tell you the best place to get a hold of me is, is on Instagram at Chris W. Harder. But I do something extra that's a little bit special too. Every single morning that I wake up, I send out a positive money mantra text. And it's totally free. Like there's no catch. My wife, two years ago, she's like, babe, you wake me up to a mantra every single morning. And I do. I roll her over and I wake her up to, I say, I'm happier, healthier, wealthier, more fit than I was yesterday. And I make her say it back to me. We've been doing this for years, right? And she's like, I'm not the kind of person that wakes up naturally happy in the morning. So you force my mind to go to a positive place. Well, she said to me, she goes, you should do this for everybody else. Like you just text anyone else that wants to wake up positively the way I do. And uh, I said, oh my God, that's a good idea. So what started as a dumb little thing has turned into me texting Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people every single morning when I wake up, a positive money mantra. Don't worry, I don't do the same one every day like I do, Lori. I change it up every single morning. So if you want me to throw you on the list, you just have to text me. Uh, text me the word daily to 310-421-0416. Again, just literally just text me the word daily. You don't have to say anything else. Uh, to 310-421-0416. I'll throw you on that list. That's probably the best way to kind of get a hold of me and tap in and, and let me help you see the world through an abundant set of lenses every day. I love that. And we'll put that number in the show notes. Uh, that is so good, Chris. Uh, final, final thought from, from you. Imagine, imagine it's the end of your life mm -hmm. and your family's around you, your friends are around you. Um, and they're, they're talking about Chris Harder. They're talking about the impact you've had uh, the, the, what you've created in this world, what, what, what would be your hope that people would whisper about you at the end of your life? Memories. I think about this a lot, actually. I, ever since I lost my dad unexpectedly in 2020, I maybe think about it a morbid amount, right? Mm -hmm. And I talk about it. And the number one thing that I want everybody to be talking about are the good memories that we created together. The, the like my family, I want them to have nonstop memories of great experiences we had together. My friends, nonstop memories of great experiences we had together. People that are acquaintances, I want them to have a great memory of some time that we interacted or something I said that made their life better. I just want people cool. to have really positive memories from interactions that we had that made their life better at that point. Chris Harder, thanks for coming on the Expert Edge, brother. Colin, thanks for having me. Why is it so hard to know what content to include in your speeches and webinars? Knowing which ideas to keep in and what to leave out is the difference between just getting claps or signing clients. If you're really serious about making your content highly persuasive, make sure to download the Persuasive Content Builder while it's still available. 
go to www.persuasivecontentbuilder.com and get your step-by-step formula for designing and delivering content that connects with your audience and moves them to join your programs. Until then, we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Expert Edge.